It's a little-known fact that Cheerscast is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. My ex-husband is getting remarried tonight. Here's the invite. How terrible for you. I, I understand completely. You've never really stopped loving him. I can see this invitation is soaked with your tears. That's my spit! <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. Everybody knows your name You wanna go where people know People are all the same You wanna go where everybody knows your name Hello and welcome back to Cheers Cast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly and I am overjoyed to welcome my next guest and contractually obligated to do so as well. He is the host of Radio vs. the Martians and the signature Patreon sponsor of this podcast. Please welcome Mr. Mike Gillis. What's up, man? Hey, good to be back. Nice to know I can buy my way back onto the show. And you know what? Anybody at any time can buy their way onto the show. I, I put Yay. that out there. But I make so I'm part of the, uh, the Cheerscast Super Pack, I guess? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, I also consider you like executive producer because you were here from the ground floor. All right. Um, I will wait my uh, royalty checks. <laughs> That's going to be a while coming, but yeah. Well, I mean, you have been on the show before, obviously. You've told your cheer stories, so let us get right into this amazing episode. Folks, we are going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 13, Battle of the Exes. And I have already explained this on the last episode, but in case there is some confusion, if you are following along watching the show on DVD or streaming, ignore those episode numbers, because that might say this is episode 14 or something like that. Don't worry about it. I am going by the order in which the episodes were broadcast, which is a little bit different. So, anyway... Season 2, Episode 13, Battle of the Exes. This episode is written by Ken Esten and Sam Simon, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was January 5th, 1984. Carla storms into the bar like a hurricane, and after assaulting both Sam and Norm, as well as a visiting psychiatrist, for trying to ascertain what's bothering her, finally reveals to Diane the source of her misery. Nick Tortelli, Carla's ex-husband and the father of her five children, is getting remarried to a foxy woman named Loretta. Nick invited Carla to the wedding just to spite her because he knows she's not seeing anyone as impressive as Loretta, and in the larger sense, she has not been able to move on emotionally since Nick left. Carla then somewhat misinterprets Diane's advice and asks Sam to be her date to the wedding. 
Sam initially declines, but then Nick and Loretta show up at Cheers. Nick knew that Carla wouldn't show to the wedding, and he wanted to see her face when she sees his new bride. Disgusted by Nick's behavior, Sam swoops into Carla's rescue and pretends to be her boyfriend and promises to be at the wedding, which baffles Nick. That night, Sam and Carla return to Cheers at closing time, with Carla beaming with pride over how upsetting their charade was to the wedding. For his part, Sam legitimately had a good time, and he and Carla reveal how much they knew about each other. Inexplicably, Nick and Loretta show up again, taking a detour from their honeymoon. Nick is outraged at the spectacle Carla pulled, but when he confronts her alone, he confesses he wants her back, having seen a new side of her for the first time that night. Carla blows him off, and Nick casually resumes his honeymoon plans with Loretta. Carla's moment of victory crumbles, however, at the acknowledgement that what Nick saw in her was all a lie, that at the end of the day, Nick has still moved on while Carla is still alone. Sam confronts her, and in that moment, he and Carla kiss. They come up with various explanations for what drove that kiss, but ultimately, they agree that they should only be friends. And that was Battle of the Exes. Uh, so... Yeah. Okay. Dan Hadea. Right. Dan Hadea, yeah. Okay, all right. So there is so much, Mike, that I love about this episode, and I just, I'm, yes. I'm going to gush about all of it. But first, before we get into that, I want to talk about the one part of this episode that I really have a problem with, and that is the kiss at the very end between Sam and Carla. You don't think it should have been written into the episode, or you think it was handled badly? I think it was handled as well as it could be. I don't like that it was really... I don't like that it was introduced into the episode. Um, I, I guess, I mean, for being season two, they're still somewhat developing these characters. You could see what happens if these two actually kiss. Like, uh, like it, it's handled about as well. And actually, upon re-watching it, it wasn't the stuff between Sam and Carla that bothered me. It was the fact that as soon as that's over, Diane comes back for their get for their long weekend away with Sam, and it's almost completely forgotten. And it's like he acts as if he didn't just kiss another woman, and now he's oh, going off uh, for his yeah. weekend with Diane. And there's like no emotional hang-up or baggage about the fact that he did just cheat on Diane. And what if there had been a connection with Carla? What if he had actually felt something, and and they decide not to just be friends, like? They're not addressing that, and that's something that, like, once you once you do introduce them kissing, then you have to actually deal with the fact that Sam is in a relationship and he just cheated on her. Yeah, this would have been a lot easier to do this in season one. Yeah. Uh, because at that point, Sam and Diane just had a will-they-won't-they they thing going on, a literal Sam and, Sam and Diane, <laughs> and there wasn't anything that would have gotten them in the way, but at the same time, there would have been less of a barrier to Sam going on that date because maybe Diane would have pushed him. Uh, season one, Diane would have pushed him into helping Carla out. But I don't know. I think, like I said, it, it's more than just a spur of the moment thing. There is some emotion there. They clearly do love each other, but it's just not that kind of love each other. Right. And the relationship between Sam and Carla always has had that sort of unspoken element. There's a hero worship there. There's a big Almost. sister, little sister, kind of goes back and forth sort of deal going on. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking brother, sister, sibling type of connection to them. Yeah, yeah. 
where there's an element where she kind of looks up to him and feels disappointed in him if he doesn't live up to that hero worship that she and the other denizens of the bar have for him. And she will whip him into shape if she feels he's fallen short of that. (laughs) Uh, So she's not afraid to criticize him or even in this case, beat the crap out of him. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, I don't know. The fact that Diane comes in right after and they've completely distanced themselves from it. I mean, it seems like that would be something that you would hope would bother Sam because, like you said, had that emotion been there, that reaction to it, rather than just I wanted to know what that would be like, if it had been something, that would have been either the beginning of an affair or the beginning of the end of his relationship with Diane. I get that. I guess on on some level, I'm sort of willing to let it go because I know it won't go anywhere. Also, Sam is a bit of a normie for uh, Carla. Carla is into weird dudes. (laughs) Um, Like that that was like the same, the episode that came earlier on with Marshall, you know, the sort of the nerdy MIT professor, that guy, uh, one of the things that she found attractive about him and, (laughs) Adding that to the context of stuff she says about stuff that she finds attractive about Nick, <laughs> uh, sweat comes up a lot. Yeah, she does. Yes. She's got the new wet look from Marshall, yeah. the way she described it, yeah. Yeah, she's into kind of weird, gross guys. And yeah. it, it just seems like Sam's a bit traditional for what she would go for that she like she says earlier you know earlier why why i thought you were seeing someone diane says to him and he goes oh his fingerprints grew back so he had to leave the country (laughs) you know carla has a type and maybe there's a bit of a crush with sam but you know she definitely gravitates towards kind of skeevy guys yeah yeah we see we see that so often um I mean, earlier in the season, she was dating a relatively normal guy who didn't have Sam's looks, but, like, normal comparative, like, personality-wise, and she was thrown off. She's like, there must be something wrong with him if he likes me. Yeah, so she definitely, she's got those those hang-ups. And, and yeah, as you point out, like, the things that she actually mentions, the things about Nick that she still loves, because, you know, when she, and we'll, we'll sort of, like, get into that we're coming up part of this from different angles, but, like, when, when Diane thinks that Carla is still hung up on, on Nick, and that's why she's upset about the wedding, she's like, no, I never loved him, but there are things about him, like the way hair grows in his ears, the way he flexes his tattoo. Yeah, the way he drools when he's in bed. Yeah, yeah. She's mentioned, she's mentioned in a previous, I think that, assuming it's just the one tattoo, it's a tattoo of a panther, which is just the best. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, taking this more or less uh, chronological order, uh, it, there's a great teaser that comes in. At Diane, she's she's talking to the coach. She's like, you know, Sam is always accusing me of not being spontaneous. So I just I talked to a friend who told me about this really secret, exclusive little inn, like tucked. It's like on an island of, off the coast of Maine or something like that. You have to be ferried there and everything. And she's gonna call and re- get a reservation there. And as she's dialing. She's like, I would like a room for Malone. Oh, yes, Sam Malone, his usual room. And he finally, of course, the gag is Sam has been there forever. He's, he said, um, she actually names the place, the inn that she's talking about, the Pequod. Yeah. That inn comes up in a later season. I think it's season five. It's referenced, and I think they actually have a scene or an episode set there. Like, it becomes a location. Um, yeah. So it's just kind of a funny bit of continuity that they mention that place again, and, and it comes back. 
It's also another Herman Melville reference. I mean, that was the yeah, ship yeah, from the ship, yeah. Moby Dick, Moby and then Dick, obviously yeah. the seafood restaurant upstairs is Melville's. Right, right, yeah. You're so, right. I mean, this is a show that does have the occasional literary reference, and I mean, they couldn't write well for Diane if they didn't have people on the writing staff that knew this stuff. Oh, yeah, and, and later on with Fraser and Lilith. I mean, it, like, yeah, the, the writers have to be brilliant in order to convincingly play, like, these really super intelligent academic people, yeah. But it is kind of interesting that they chose it for a romantic little inn because, I mean, the Pequot is ultimately something that goes down on a doomed <laughs> mission. So it's a, it's a bit funny that that would be the romantic uh, getaway for Sam and Diane because it sort of has the, the foreshadowing that there's something, yeah, like they're heading towards that same, you know, crushed on the rocks kind of vibe, mm-hmm. that this is the ultimate fate of where they, well, we know they are going to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of neat about that, but that's always been the thing with the two of them is I think I've always enjoyed them more as the will they, won't they, or the post-Sam and Diane breakup than I actually enjoy them as a couple. Maybe I've just been in a bad relationship before, <laughs> but it just, I find myself kind of tensing up because it just seems like a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about this before that she really wants to change Sam and Sam is not someone who's interested at all in changing. And it just feels like she's going to hit that wall over and over and over again. And uh, it just seems like a bad idea. And I just kind of want to see them go off the rails and get it over with because (laughs) otherwise there's just, it's like watching a horror movie and someone is like, Oh, what's that sound in the barn? Their whole relationship is what's the sound in the barn. It's like, I know this is going to go badly. I just kind of want the guy with the ax to step out of the shadows already (laughs) just to get it out of the way. Because they have a tendency, like you said, they fight for that relationship. They just pull that Band-Aid off as slowly as possible. Yeah, yeah. It's just not a good idea. (laughs) Well, we'll have have a few more episodes of them together, certainly. Yeah, so then when Act 1 picks up, actually Act 1 picks up right after the scene ends uh, with a teaser. um, And Coach is saying, you know, there's like this, uh, he and his wife went to this little inn in Vermont that he stayed with. And Diane says, you know, what inn? And Coach goes, my station wagon. Yeah. I'm going to put it right there. Like, every line Coach says in this episode is like pure fire. He is like such a good showcase for Coach. I, I, I'm still wavering about whether or not he's my episode MVP, even though he doesn't have like the emotional weight or he's not like the st- like starring guest star or anything like that. But just like pound for pound, and we say this so many times about Coach, who was such a great utility for the show. But this episode in particular, like every line, I'm like, oh my god, that is good. That is like better than what he said like all season long. Yeah, there, Coach gets a lot considering he's not part of the plot in any way, that he's just kind of part of the Greek chorus. Mm-hmm. I think what really works is Nick Colasanto, is that yeah. Nick Colasanto is so authentic with a character that could be really annoying if the wrong person was cast. Mm-hmm. If the, the joke is that he's just kind of a little slow, uh, that he means well, but he's constantly confused... That could be really annoying, but there's this authenticity and this warmth that Nick Colasanto brings to the character that you just kind of love Coach, and it never feels like shtick. It never feels like he's playing up like a like a character piece. He's just being himself, mm-hmm. and there's something so incredibly authentic that he brings to the role that you just love Coach. 
Yeah. And for an ep- a character who really is not part of the plot, he is just all over this episode. He does. He doesn't like just the the line that I just mentioned when he's ta- talking to uh, Diane about you know the in his station wagon when Sam comes in. And Diane is like, how would you like to get away from the weekend and go to like this nice little secluded inn? And Sam goes, what inn? And the oh. coach just shouts from across the bar, hey, you're welcome to use my station wagon. It's like this call. Yeah, I, that so I love that. Yeah. And then later when they're trying to decide after uh, Carla storms in there and is basically barricaded <laughs> into Sam's office, yes. uh, they're trying to decide who's going to go in there to talk to her. And uh, Cliff's response is, well, I'm thinking of a number between 1 and 10. And Coach is like, stop showing off, will you, Cliffy? we got a real problem. Here, I I love little bits like that. I mean, and it feels it it just feels natural. There's just something about this character in this actor that you just you never question how much he is this character. You only see the character when Nick Colasanto's on screen. Yeah, because I mean, even like later on in the episode in the second act, when it's that night when when Sam and Diane have gone off to, or sorry, Sam and Carla have gone off to the wedding, and Coach was responsible for closing up the bar and everything, and he's he's glad that uh, that Norman Cliff stayed around all night because Norm is basically helping him calculate the tab, uh, and he's like, you know, I couldn't have done this without you guys, and this whole joke is like, you know, how far did I get off? And and uh, Norm is like, you're only short sixteen thousand dollars. And Coach is like, beaming. he's like happy about it. He's like, hey, I never had an accounting class in my life. Yeah. Like, that would be really easy to be like, okay, that's kind of ridiculous. You don't believe it. But then it's like, Coach is a character who was hit in the head by a lot of baseballs. And it, like, yeah. it's just sort of like perfect. And what plays up later on, because Sam comes back, he's like, so how far off were you? 20,000, 30,000? And Coach is like, eh, 16. And the genuine, like, relief in Sam is like, hey, how about Yeah, fucking for promotion. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, I just, and there's there's a genuine affection that you feel from everyone there for Coach. Mm-hmm. That he's the one character you just could never see anyone snapping at. Right. Um, Carla screams at everyone. Carla assaults everyone. <laughs> Yeah. But she would never scream at Coach. Right, right. There's and, like a different – and Carla, uh, Carla loves Coach. Diane loves Coach. Everyone loves Coach. Yeah, yeah. He's so good. Um, okay, so bring, bring it to the moment then when Carla does come in. We have seen her come in like the, actually in the in the pilot episode. She came in rather like this when she's just screaming at everybody and just kind of like throwing things and and. But in that case, like it felt like the energy was wrong. We didn't really have a handle on who Carla was. The response to her wasn't quite right. This feels like when when Carla comes in, she's storming like you you understand. I I think we know Carla a little bit better, so this feels more authentic and a little bit more genuine, believable. When she's like, "I am having the worst day of my life. Nobody talking to me. Nobody say anything." And Norma's like, "Hey, Carla, like whatever. Like turn that smile or turn that frown upside down or something like oh. that." Oh. And Uh-oh. she turns on him like with daggers in her eyes and just rushes him and pulls his sweater over his head and starts wailing on him. And yeah. Like, everybody's like, what the heck just happened? And it's, and it's oh, so my good. God. Like, the response even from George Wett is like, I wonder how much he actually knew that that was going to happen. I'm sure they, they blocked it and everything. But, like, when they pull her and she goes back to the office, and like, he's, like, almost charging after her. Like, what the heck? What happened? What I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's – what I love is it's such – a Carla fighting style too. <laughs> yeah. It's essentially a hockey fight <laughs> where she pulls his shirt over his head and just starts pounding on his back while he's sort of like bent forward. Um, 
wow. I mean, Carla fights dirty. And I've said this before on the show, but good God, the job security that <laughs> Carla Tortelli has at Cheers. Yeah, yeah. Because – she assaults two customers and her boss in this episode. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Because the next one after after she storms in there, Sam is like, "All right, I'll go talk to her." He's like, "I, let, I don't know how long I'm going to be in there, but you know, if anybody knocks, you know, just take a message or whatever." He goes in, and two seconds later, he comes out, shirt pulled over his head, and everything like that, just completely tussled. And and I love it. And then we get our first little guest star in this episode, who's just a throwaway, but he has one of my favorite parts in this whole show. Um, and it's a guy who introduces himself. He goes, hello, I'm Dr. Paul Kendall. And he's a, played by an actor named Alan Williams. This guy doesn't even have a photo on his IMDb page, and yet he's had like a 100 acting credits as recently as last year. Um, but this guy has appeared in your favorite The Rockford Files. Uh, he was in Rich Man, Poor Man, Murphy Brown, Desperate Housewives, Law and Order, Doogie Howser, MASH, uh, just tons of stuff. Like, never, like, big things. I mean, obviously, like, I don't think he ever had, like, a recurring role for something. But he comes in and very, sort of, like, profoundly, I'm a licensed psychiatrist and I can help that woman. <laughs> just, like, the way he declares it. And he goes back and he, like, knocks on the door and is like, Carla, I'm Dr. Paul Kendall and I can help you. And he goes in there. And he gets thrown out, like, within a second later. Like, they really, like, I, I, like she must have been back there, like, like, or, like, a grip must have been backstage and, like, to help him because of how quickly he goes in and how quickly he comes back and shirt completely undone. One of his sleeves off, his head, like, over there. And, like, and then he, his, the line he gives, I'm going to save it because I think it's my home run for this whole episode. Um, but it's just, like, such good... But, yeah, so Carla, just in, like, the span of seconds, is attacking three different people. People, yeah. And that's when, yeah, they're like, how are we going to figure it out? And, and Diane, of course, knocks, and she's like, you know, there's something to be said about a woman, you know, reaching out to another woman. And Carla just grabs her by the bottom jaw and yanks yeah. her inside. It's, it's a crazy – I think this is probably my home run. It's this moment where Diane does the thing. She reaches out. And then she's allowed in, but instead of just going in, she turns back to the rest of the bar and starts giving a speech about sisterhood. <laughs> and the way Carla reaches out and grabs her, it's not like she fish hooks her. She doesn't grab her by the cheek. She reaches her hand into her mouth and grabs her jaw <laughs> and yanks her in there. It's so, I, it's so typical oh. Diane. She can't get out of her own way. She got what she was. She's having this the opportunity to have this bond with Carla and she's got to gloat about it and like reflect and like make sure that everybody knows what has happened it's like the same thing when she has like a profound moment or like friendship or connection and she has to write about it in her journal or something like that it's like can you just have a human moment and she's yeah. incapable of doing that so Carla yeah. forces her to come in I love that. I, it's like it's enough for Carla to let herself down that she lets quite possibly who in her mind is her sworn enemy to see her in a vulnerable state. But she won't have a speech. <laughs> yeah. She's like, if you're going to get in here, get in here. I love that. I, I love that um, Rhea Perlman is really great in that moment. I mean, those sorts of choices, like the way that she fights specifically, like <laughs> dirty, the immediate, immediate thing you do is is you throw something over the person's face so they can't see you. <laughs> and grabbing somebody by the jaw, I mean, Carla is a dirty, dirty fighter. 
Yeah. You, it's, you can sort of see that, I mean, these little choices, like the choice of grabbing the jaw, the width, it's great character work that doesn't necessarily need dialogue. You're just like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> she reminds me of a Wolverine. Not like yeah. the like the comic book superhero or whatever, but like the actual Wolverine in nature, which is known for a fighting animals that are bigger than it that it can possibly be and also attacking things that when it's not hungry <laughs> like you know, it'll kill something when it's not killing for food and it'll kill something that's bi- physically bigger <laughs> like that's what that's what Carla is like she's a wolverine Carla always kind of acts like she's in prison like <laughs> she can't allow a moment of weakness to get out because I think she just assumes that people will seize on it, that they'll smell blood in the water. So she goes out violence right off the bat. She has to compensate for her feelings of vulnerability by letting know that people are just not going to mess with her. She will beat the crap out of Norm in front of everybody. Just like, oh, man. Oh, man. She's not going to have that in this moment. And it's like the next person in Sam, then the psychologist guy. And it's like wow you know at that point um yeah yeah carla is not going to be trifled with i i yeah i i think that's that comes from you know her growing up in uh saint cletus's home for wayward girls or whatever it was oh god that had to be run like a prison <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah i i i really love the stuff in this episode with carla is just it's a real roller coaster because you have this sort of this hard exterior but then there's this person inside who's hurt but she doesn't really know how to show that or there aren't a lot of people that she feels she can show that to and even when she's showing that to someone there's still the threat of violence, like she has with Diane. She's like, you know, you got 30 seconds. Otherwise, I'm throwing you out of here, and your face stays here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I forgot that Coach almost goes in, too. Coach almost oh. goes in to talk to her, and he's like, he's like, I'll talk to her, because we like, what would have happened if Coach had... He's like, I'll go in. I know Carla like the back of my hand, and he looks down and he's like, what the hell is that? It's <laughs> like, Sammy, what, I, what is that? I've never seen that before. And of course, it's like, okay, kind of joke gag. And they kind of like send him back. He's like, all right, somebody else should talk to, talk to Carla and everything. And he goes back, but he doesn't, he doesn't drive it. He goes, Cliffy, look at my hand. What is this? <laughs> Again, everything that Coach says. But so, okay, so back in the office, Carla lays it out. Her ex-husband, Nick, is getting remarried and everything. She talks about she doesn't like him. She's got the invitation that, Car- that Diana's like, oh, I can see how hard this was. That's wet from your tears. She's like, that's spit. And Diana, like, <laughs> throws the invitation down and, like, oh, like doesn't know what to do with her hands because she almost grabs, like, runs her hands through her hair. But she's like, I don't want to touch it. So she grabs, like, tissues to wipe yeah. her hands. That's good. Great little physical beat from Shelley Long there. Um yeah, and he's marrying, like, this classy dame. She shows Diane a picture. She's like, this is Nick's new wife. And Diane, like, blanches at it. She's like, oh, Carla, she's naked. And Carla's like, so? So is Nick. And Diane takes, like, a second glance at it. She's like, I thought he was wearing mohair pajamas. Oh, my God, yeah. And this is the invitation, by the way. This, is, this isn't just a photograph <laughs> she has of them. This is what Nick Tortelli sent out to everybody. Well, and it comes back like when Nick and Loretta actually show up. He's like, "I wanted you to see my new bride to see that the photos were not retouched." And he kind of like stands away from Loretta and like signals her, and she's wearing like this long overcoat, like down to her like down to her shins or something. And she sort of opens it up to like spread it, like as if she would be like flashing people or giving a glance to her body. She's fully clothed. She's wearing like a like a knee length dress and everything like that. But you just kind of get this glance. Like, what, what he, he, it's like totally like showing off a showgirl or, girl or something. 
something like a trophy wife or something. It's just like this weirdest little act, act that they have. I'm pretty sure that Nick Tartelli has been talked about on the show a few times yes. by now. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of the series, uh, he and Carla already had four kids together, and a fifth was was conceived after their divorce. Right. So these two have five children together, and this character has been talked about a bit, and I think this is the first time that one of those um, kind of supporting characters for one of the leads, you know, like Norm has Vera, these characters that they talk about who don't show up on screen, and everything we have about them is anecdotes. I think Nick Tortelli is the one of those characters, maybe the only one, who goes from being a series of anecdotes to being cast and appearing on the show. And that could be so dangerous because the descriptions that we've gotten, like the panther tattoo, wearing a fishnet t-shirt, all like the way that Carla describes him and everything like that, it would be so so easy to just completely miss the mark. And, and thank God, because a little-known fact, like the character was originally conceived to be somebody like a Danny DeVito, who was Rhea Perlman's real-life husband, uh, and they they had scenes together on Taxi. And they like he was sort of conceived as that type of thing, like they were going to have Danny DeVito play this character. Thank God they didn't go that way. Um, yeah, I think Danny DeVito is a lot more endearing. Yeah. Um, where... Oh my! So Dan Hedaya, um, I primarily know him as the dad from Clueless, but he is also one of the main villains in the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Commando, <laughs> yeah. where he plays a deposed dictator who speaks with this kind of Tony Montana accent, who basically kidnaps Arnold's daughter to blackmail him into reinstalling him into his South American dictatorship. <laughs> um, so yeah, Dan Hedaya is kind of an epic character actor. Yeah. And he seems like somebody that was born to play Richard Nixon in a comedy. <laughs> yeah. He's incredibly hairy he and strange. Has he? he? He he did that in some movie with like Kirsten Dunst or something like that. Oh my god, that is perfect. It's not often that the perfect castings uh, actually come to be. <laughs> I'm still waiting on Keanu Reeves to play the Silver Surfer. Oh, so, oh that'd be good. But Dan Hedaya is is just such a wonderfully repulsive cartoon as Nick Tortelli. Mm. I don't know how he does this posture because he looks kind of like a like a Frank Miller drawing. <laughs> he has these remarkably weirdly squared shoulders that come from the the shoulder pads in this uh, this uh, suit jacket that he's wearing mm. with this like dark purple button-up shirt that he has opened almost all the way down to his his navel with just all of this body hair just pouring out of it. And you can tell that this is a guy who has a very different idea of what he's putting out (laughs) than what other people were receiving it as. Like, I think... You get the impression he sees Sam Malone as a peer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, And the funny thing is, the way Carla responds to him, you would think like that, that she sort of justifies it. Like he thinks he's all sexual magnetism and animal charisma. He thinks he's got that. But you're right. Like the posture, it's like he's not. He doesn't come across as humpbacked, but it also doesn't look like his head is perfectly on top of his shoulders. It's almost yeah. like his neck is kind of jutting forward from like between his pecs or something like that. Like it's just, his head doesn't sit quite straight. Yeah, like the, the, the shoulders of the jacket form this sort of straight line, and then his head sort of hunches down in a slouch. 
he really looks like a drawing. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so strange. But yeah, he is just so fully committed to this character. And like you said, it's a dangerous thing to turn a set of anecdotes into a character because there's so much opportunity to not live up to the image that you've built around this guy so far, because like the scene where they look at the photograph, you know, the naked (laughs) wedding invitation, (laughs) that's the sort of scenes that characters like that get. And you build it up so much that you really needed a guy as hairy as Dan Hedaya (laughs) to live up to that. And if you've seen um, alien resurrection where he's, he wears a tank top in that movie. (laughs) Good Lord. He's like a (laughs) Wookiee. He's also in notable, uh, he was on an episode of NYPD Blue, I think the first season that I always loved, where he played a character named Lou the Werewolf. He was like a homeless, like psychologically impaired guy who thought he was a werewolf. Um, well, he's, he's got some good reason to, to yeah, think yeah. that. Um, sort of a sad, pathetic creature of a character that I loved him on that. But uh, yeah, but like hundreds of other credits he was in. I think the Coen Brothers' first movie, Blood Simple, I think he was in that one. Yes, he is. He's uh, great. Yeah. Oh, Blood Simple is wonderful, and you should yeah. definitely check it out. If you want to have another great kind of skeevy character actor, M. Emmett Walsh is amazing oh, yeah, in that yeah, one yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's just uh, there's a certain kind of actor that is born to be in Coen Brothers movies, and I'm kind of shocked that they haven't called up Dan Hedaya more. <laughs> he is. It's kind of he's one of those people that you can just tell him to play something sort of straight, and there's always something something askew about it. Even without trying, I mean, he can really play it up like he does as as Nick Tortelli, where he's just gross. <laughs> he's gross in a way that, like, he really thinks he's putting off this sort of animal magnetism. Like, he is exuding this power that people cannot resist. And it's just, but it, it, it al- just feels gross. He also manages to bag Loretta, who is this statuous blonde woman played by Jean Kasem, who notably was the former wife of Casey Kasem. She she was in Ghostbusters, where she was dancing with Rick Moranis. Um, That's right. So she's certainly got a type, or or at least is cast as the opposite <laughs> of like a, a, a physical foil for these types of men, but. God, yeah, like she is as much a trip as Nick is, just in like the few things that she's got here. Like, where do you start with Nick? Like, when he actually like walks in the scene, and when he walks in the room and he starts talking. Oh God, you just you know something is wrong. There's something element about him that when he walks in, even if he's not there to talk to you, you just kind of mind the location of your wallet. <laughs> And you're like, okay, I'm just not going to buy anything from this guy. He seems like the sort of guy that would try to sell you, like, ground beef out of the back of his car. There's just, it's just not right. There's just something that you're like, I don't know, man. That's like, I just, you kind of go into that sort of defensive posture because you just, you, whatever he's up to, it ain't good. Yeah. You pointed out like how he thinks like he and Sam are like peers. Like when Sam, you know, comes up to kind of like swoops in and says, you know, makes it look like he and Carla are dating. The look on his face, he's like, "Why?" Like he can't believe it. He's like, "Sam, I thought you was cool." <laughs> he's just he's incredulous. It's, it's not just the look; it's the voice, like the the voice, the cadence, <laughs> the kind of like accent where this comes from. Like it's intermittently shouting and. <laughs> <laughs> he just he seems so confused. <laughs> it's sort of like he looks up to Sam too. Yeah. I mean, obviously Carla has worked there for a long time, so. She worked there while married to Nick. So Sam knows this guy. Mm-hmm. And But, I, yeah, I kind of get that impression. Yeah, it's like, hey, I, th- I thought you was cool. 
<laughs> he seems genuinely almost kind of hurt by it, and not because of it being Carla, but because of it being Sam. Yeah. Yeah, I oh, it's it's pretty great. My God, that suit! Everything that that Dan Hedaya wears in this episode is pretty spectacular. He, I don't think he understands how the top buttons of shirts work. <laughs> he doesn't. The hit, the chest hair won't allow for it. <laughs> no, it's just it's just like it cannot be restrained. It's yeah. kind of like how Arnold looks in Predator, where it's just like he's ready to explode. <laughs> it's like it's like that, but hair. Yeah, and they actually they make a comment on it when they come back from the wedding. Sam is like, you know, I was going to say something, but the groom had his uh, his fly down throughout the entire ceremony, and Carlos like, no, he knew the entire family does that. It's a sign of virility. <laughs> That's all class. And yeah, when he comes back the second time in his wedding tuxedo, which is a red tuxedo jacket that I freaking love. It's all frilly. It's like an Austin Power shirt (laughs) under there. Yeah, yeah. It's like unbuttoned and everything. And he comes, and I love that whole thing, like where he's, you know, he's chastising them for like making the scene. And he's like, by the way, Carla, I don't appreciate you wearing the same dress to my wedding that you wore to ours or something like that. She's wearing like this pink cocktail dress. Yeah, and that unbuttoned tuxedo that he's wearing where he has no tie on, and again, it's like this deep V-neck the way it's opened. That's not just because the wedding is over and he's relaxed now. I guarantee you he got married like <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> that's just the Nick Tortelli. I mean, oh, that's yeah. just how he rolls. Um, he wouldn't wear a tie and- now? Oh God! I he just I don't think he can wear a tie because that means he'd have to button the top of his shirt. <laughs> so when he I love it when he when he pulls Carla aside he's like I want to talk to you he like drags her aside and he looks at her he's like I want you back and she's like what she's like you got married he's like he, she's like your bride is standing right there he's like easy come easy go I'll drop her off at the bus station that's where I found her. Oh, God. He, he talked, he's like, he's like something about what I saw. She's like, he's like, you know, you just, I saw something new. And he, he's like pledging, try, you know, trying to win Carla back. And she's like, no, he refused. So he's like, oh, yeah, can you forget about this? And he leans and he kisses Carla, gives her this deep kiss while Loretta is standing back there just oblivious, looking around. And Sam notes and he just kind of looks at like, so Loretta, how is married life treating you? And she's like, oh, I don't feel so different. It's like this, like, God, her voice. I can't, I can't even buy it. But, like, then, Uh-oh. then, like, when Carla tells Nick, she's like, that doesn't mean anything. She's like, I'm total. we're totally through. Get out of here. And he's like, all right, fine. Well, I gave it a shot. And he turns around. He's like, Loretta, you're up. Like, oh, God. He's like, he's like, okay, well, you know, play, plan B, the option that I've already. And he pulls Loretta out towards the door. And he's like, boy, am I primed for this honeymoon. Oh, <laughs> good God. Oh. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nick is – and the sad thing is – and this is the sort of impression you get. I mean this is a moment of growth for Carla, but you get the impression that kiss has worked many, many times before. Oh, sure. Yeah. Just – it's almost like he is attacking her. He's like, Rawr! Like, you know, it's like a boa constrictor eating something. Yeah. I mean um, – It's not a, a romantic kiss. It's a, like – suck onto somebody as if you're like a Star Trek monster and you're going to turn them into like a little, you know, carbon cube. I mean, it's, it's like a, it's like animalistic, like, and it just, you know, there's, there's just some people that Nick's magic just works on and Carla typically is one of them. I mean, she, she hooked up with him post-divorce once already. Right, right. She, she hated him. She hated him at that time. She definitely hated him by then. She knew that he was cheating on her when she, when they had the other kids. So, and, and it comes back later on and later seasons he comes back and and the the danger of her falling in love with him again and going back to him is is very real for her so it's it's yeah it's it takes a while it's, for her to really she, it's she weird. can't quit him cold turkey 
it's it's like to it, you probably saw the first season of Jessica Jones. Yeah, yeah. But to the the right sort of person of which Carla is one, it's kind of like he is Kilgrave. <laughs> <laughs> he just has that kind of power. I think there's even a joke about that power almost almost working on Diane and scaring her in yep. a later episode. Yep, there is. That there is something there. It's just, it's something kind of scary. It's 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 like whatever it is that Pennywise uses to lure children into the sewer. <laughs> That's <laughs> magic that Nick Tortelli has. I don't know what it is, but yeah, it's it's scary, and it also makes you feel bad about yourself that it works. Mm-hmm. Taking a break from from the main plot, Cliff has a subplot in this episode that I love. When Carla is trying to get Sam to to go to the wedding with her, she's like, and he's like, "Why can't you take anybody else?" She's like, "No, it's got to be you because you're the best looking guy, and you'll make Nick jealous." And the guys like Norman Cliff, they're right there with her. It's like, yeah, you're the best looking person in the bar, and Cliff, and Coach is like best looking guy in the city and everything. And there's another woman at the bar, and this woman is credited as customer number one, played by Jacqueline Cassell. This is her third of four different appearances on Cheers, and she is always playing an unnamed female customer. Uh, in fact, I think she was just on the previous episode before this one. But because of that, I think you can retcon that it's all the same character. Like, they just yeah. never give her a name, but she's the same woman in the bar all four episodes. But she's like, no, there was another guy I remember who used to drink here who was even better looking. His name was Clifford Clavin. And Cliff kind of perks up. He's like, hey, I'm Cliff Clavin. And this woman, again, just a throwaway nothing character, has the greatest response. She's like, oh, my God, what did you do to yourself? Oh, God. <laughs> and Cliff, like, doesn't know how to take that. And and Norm luckily comes to his defense. He's like, no, 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 I think you're thinking of Clifford Clemens. He turns to Cliff, he's like, you've never looked better than that. He's like, oh, thank you. And, I like that that's a comfort to Cliff. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course it is. Well, at the moment, it's a comfort. But we see later on, like, that night when Norm is helping coach like tabulate the bar and everything figure out that he's like sixteen thousand dollars short of what the receipts say he should be or something like that or or what's in the till cliffy is sitting there the whole time completely drunk and he's just like so i'm not a pretty boy you know my father wasn't a pretty boy and it's just like the, the fact that he's still been thinking about this about his looks um and cliff does a nice little subtle drunk in the, at the end of this episode when he leaves the bar with norm there's one one question. I know you guys have talked about this in the, the greater sense, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of elements of this all over this episode, which is how the scheduling <laughs> for work of this bar goes. So at the beginning, spontaneously, I mean literally spontaneously, two of the four people that work at this bar decide they are going to run away for the weekend. <laughs> that is 50% of the staff of Cheers. How does that work? And I mean, considering we, it's like the the crew of the Enterprise, where everyone is always on on staff at the same time. So these people have to sleep sometime. They have to have days off sometime. But it's like everyone is. I. It's like it. It's like that way lies madness. I know that there's no answer to that question, but there isn't. I mean, throughout the life of the show, there are times like when Sam and Diane will just up and leave, and it's like. There's 50 people in the bar. You're leaving them with one waitress and one bartender? And during the weekend, that has to be the busiest time. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. But it's also, there's like no rhyme. Like, you could try and make sense of it. Like, where, like, he does have two other bartenders and three other waitresses on staff. We just never watch the days when those people are working. But it's like, no, that's that can't actually work. But you also get the sense that sometimes the bar closes at midnight sometimes it closes at two sometimes it opens at 9 a.m like who the yeah it's like like 
like it just yeah the, like the whole timing like that just it's it's one of those things where you're never going to square that circle it doesn't work it's just you just have to go with it i mean the fact before diane came aboard it, it seems like sam only had one waitress just carla and then once sam once diane gets hired a lot of times she's not really working a lot of times she's sitting at the bar reading a book it's like so yeah. she was never a very good waitress and then once she leaves she's never replaced yeah, it's it's. What are the hours of this place? <laughs> I mean, obviously they make enough money that like Diane has an apartment. Yeah, but at the same time, they they seem to work an all day shift. That they seem to open in the morning, and it's always dark when they close. So I just I have no idea how this how this works, and I know this is a fool's errand. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's because it seems like it, at any given time that they're already open by the time Norm gets there, <laughs> yeah. and then Norm just stays there for the rest of the day. Like early midday is about the time Norm walks in. Right. Cliff is still wearing his work uniform, and sometimes he comes in in the middle of his work day, like he stepped away from work for a moment <laughs> yeah. to hang out in the bar for like an hour. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, I don't know. I, I really like the moments between Sam and Carla in this episode too, when they first come back when they're alone and they're sharing the things that they know each other about each other. And because Sam kind of teases off, he's like, you know, he's like, I had a good time at the wedding. He's like, I was surprised at how many things you know about me, like all the stories about my career and everything that you were told at the wedding. And she's like, well, I had to make it believable. And she's like, I know your favorite color is blue. Your favorite food is Chinese. Uh, she's like, your favorite hobby is sailing. She's like, and your taste in women isn't what it used to be. <laughs> uh, and he, he points out like things about her, like her favorite hobby is drawing armpit hair on the models in Vogue magazine or something like that. Your favorite meal is Chicken McNuggets. <laughs> chicken McNuggets, yeah. It's like her favorite movie is Lady and the Tramp, and she always cries when they get to the spaghetti scene. Uh, and then he calls her on something that she really, when he almost kind of like bluffs it, he's like, I know something else about you. You go to church every Sunday. You go to mass every Sunday. She's like, how do you know? He's like, I didn't. I didn't. I just guessed. But yeah, that's how well I know you. The weird thing is Lady and the Tramp is very telling. How does how Carla probably perceives her own sort of existence even? <laughs> yeah. I mean, she. I mean, she's not a lady in the sense that the dog is in the movie, but the, the Tramp is definitely what she gravitates towards. Mm-hmm. You Actually, definitely, I mean, there's. It is almost, I mean, Sam isn't quite a tramp, but it's almost a Sam and Diane metaphor. Yeah, that really is Sam and Diane, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, any any final thoughts before we move on? Uh, no, no, it just, you know, Dan Hedaya, there's a reason that he came back to the show a number of times. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty rare that a guest star was somebody who became a regular thing. Uh, but like you've said on other episodes, they're remarkably giving to their guest stars. And when they really knock it out of the park, they do bring them back. Like Andy, Andy, they bring back several times. Yeah, Harry the Hat, Uh, they brought back a couple of times. And and, I mean, they probably could have brought him back more, except Harry Anderson locked in his his own show. And and yeah, like Dan Hedaya comes back for a couple of episodes in the the first couple of seasons, and then we see him again towards the end. I think think in the final season, in season 11, when they knew that was going to be their their send-off, they brought back all of their big guest stars like all of their major characters like all the characters we've named came back for at least one episode Um, yeah and and i know that even later in a later season where occasionally you start to see carla's older children mm -hmm. her oldest son bases his performance heavily off of dan hedaya yeah yeah anthony has definitely acts like that And, and of course they would i i have never actually watched an episode of the tortellis I just know it purely by reputation. I kind of want to see if I can dig it out and find the show. 
That's uh, right. Yeah, it was. I understand why it didn't work. Yeah. I I think that these characters are great as foils, mm-hmm. but I think they need a little something extra if you want to sort of set up Nick Tortelli and Loretta as main characters. Right. That these he's kind of a repulsive cartoon, and it's great character to force responses out of your regulars, but there isn't this endearing quality to him you like you mentioned with Danny DeVito as a possible casting for this character you could do it with Danny DeVito but the Dan Hedaya version of this character is just a gross creep <laughs> and I don't think you can find that extra added layer that even when a character like say Homer Simpson is kind of an oaf there's that other part of him that would do anything for his family you right. need that other that other layer if you're going to make this character a protagonist and otherwise he's just a great guest star and or a great supporting character and i think that's what he is yeah and loretta is like a balloon <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of like 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 these aren't real characters that you can you can base like a, a whole narrative on they have to be foils as you said they have to be somebody that reacts to real people like somebody that yes. you identify with yeah. yeah it's like you you get a serious scene with carla in this episode there's that part of her that's vulnerable there's that part of her that is hurt that's not an element that you get with nick tortelli nick tortelli doesn't have that because i don't know if nick tortelli is capable of love i think he has one glorious layer and that's all it is. It's just one that smells like cigarette and uh, room temperature uh, beer and probably some aqua velva. I mean, that's <laughs> that's just what he is. And, you know, Carla is more than that. It's kind of why Carla is too good for him. But he's not too good for Carla. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, getting into the things for Norm's tab, I uh, I gave him credit for three beers in this episode, which takes him up to 164 for the series. Um, now, considering he he stayed there till closing time with Coach, I'm sure he drank well more than three that day. But that's that was what we saw. Uh, getting into the employee of the week, and this was about as hard as I've ever had to to pick. But who did you have? Who did you think was the MVP this time around? Um, I mean, the obvious the obvious answer is is Dan Hedaya as Nick Tortelli, but I didn't go that way. Yeah, he's a scene stealer, but I think Carla. I think that Rhea Perlman, you compare it to how she was earlier on in the show, she really has the character of Carla locked down at this point. The that vulnerability that she's like a she's like a bear trap, <laughs> um, you know, wrapped around a puppy dog. That there's this sweet, vulnerable person who will never let you see this, and she will beat the crap out of you if you even catch a glimpse of it. I mean, she's funny. She's violent. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She beats up three people in the course of this episode. Um, She also has a crying scene. Yeah, She has a crying scene. You get to see her vulnerable with both Diane and Sam in different ways. And these are the parts that make somebody a compelling character that you can make the focus of an episode about. That... There's that extra layer to Carla that you don't get with Nick, that you get to see her um, as, and it's it's a hard thing I think to do when you have a character that's, that's frequently written and performed as broadly as Carla Tortelli is. But I think that Rio Perlman does a great job. That moment where she just 
it tells a friend why she's hurting mm-hmm. and asks for help. And asking for help is not something I think Carla likes doing. It's it's that part of her where the it, it's the beginning of them really adding these layers to the the character that they can start using her as a launching point for for stories rather than just somebody who's part of the Greek chorus. Um, you get to see her. Um, in her relationship and friendship with Sam, you get to see her, you know, tentatively reaching out to Diane. You it's it, and you also get to see her do things like beat people up, <laughs> um, spit on letters, um, get attracted to somebody that is not good for her, and then almost exultant about the fact that she got to basically make him eat his own liver. Yeah. It's. I mean, she really runs the the gamut of emotions, and you get to see all parts of Carla in this episode. So I I gotta give it to Carla. I, that's where I was leaning to. I think we're right on the same page there. Um, and yet you're right. Like like there was there have been episodes in these two seasons that have sort of hinged on Carla plots, and some of them have been kind of weak. Some of them have been really good. Um, and some of them sort of just down the middle, but I feel like this is the this is the one where it's like okay, she's a safe bet; she can carry an episode. We can we can really give her like the whole the whole plot because um, Diane doesn't really. I mean, she's got Diane has a, that memorable scene in the in the bar with uh, or in the office with uh, Carla, and then she kind of disappears for a lot of it towards the end. She comes back at the very very end just so we can have our final moment between Sam and Diane because they're the leads. But it's I mean, she's really kind of absent for like the emotional and dramatic climax of the episode um nick uh, or dan hedea is is phenomenal in his little part so justine Seeley. and like, again I, it's like we've talked about the generosity that the writers give great material to their guest stars like like whether it's like an actual guest star or just like a one-off character everybody gets one like that that line again like even just loretta like when when uh, Nick kisses Carla, and Sam is just trying to distract her. Like, so, how does it feel being married? And she takes that literally as if there would be a physiological change in your body, like after you get married. She's like, oh, I don't feel so different. Uh, <laughs> just like that line kills me. And then Coach, like every single thing he does is, is so great. Like even like when Diane comes back, she's like, Coach, I've gotta, I've gotta go and pack. Kit. When Sam gets back, can you give him a message for me? And Coach is like, Yeah, sure, honey, no problem. Have a good night. She's like, Coach, I, I didn't tell you what the message is. He's like, Oh, I'll think of something. <laughs> like, See, I, I love, I love Coach. Yeah, but it's, it's, but ultimately, ultimately, I'm on, I'm right where you are with. It's it's got to be Carla because this was Carla's episode when she anchored it. She knocked it out of the park for all the reasons. She's funny. She's violent. She's sad. She's depressed. She gets all these moments. We get a great exploration of her character. So it's yeah, Rio Perlman just rocked this one. Yeah. Ah, uh, which brings us to the funniest moment. What did you think? I mean, you kind of mentioned yours already. Was there anything else that you had? Um, I've got another moment, um, and it went back and forth between uh, Carla grabbing. Uh, Diane by the jaw and this moment because I thought this was just hilarious there's an exchange between Carla and Nick (laughs) when he comes back from the wedding and you can tell it bothers him that it's Sam it bothers him that it's Sam because it feels and I think even Nick on some base animal level recognizes it that Carla traded up and it bugs him yeah it's like if somebody's if she's worse off and she's dating like like if it was Marshall he would be happy he wouldn't wouldn't bother him at all but the fact that it's Sam gets under him and the fact that Sam is also someone that she's known for years that he's known for years and this is the exchange he says you've been seeing him while we were married and she's like no I was always faithful to you 
you seen Loretta while we were married? And he's like, what am I, on trial here? <laughs> he shouts it too. He's like strange. He's like so offended by the question. I love that. I It says everything about his character. And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> what am I, on trial here? It's like, I am not the victim. <laughs> Answer the question. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, it's so good. That was that was one of my runners up too. I love that moment. Um, but but yeah, ultimately, like my favorite part of this episode was given to another guest star, and it wasn't Nick, and it wasn't Loretta. It was Doctor Kendall. It was this weird sort of moment where he he for for just having like maybe ten seconds of screen time, he declares himself to the bar at large that he is a practicing uh, psychiatrist and he's specializing in crisis and, and like behavior management. He's like, and I can help that woman. And he knocks on the door, he repeats the same line to Carla, and he walks in and like you barely have a chance to breathe before he's thrown out there and he's like shirt is untucked, one sleeve off, like oh like to sweater over his head and Sam like pulls him down, like helps him like reorder reorder himself and he says, I never saw her coming. I think she dropped from the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> oh the man. imagery in that, like like she's like a spider or like an alien. She just kinda of, like dropped down. <laughs> like she was and ready the- to pounce on him. <laughs> And the crowd can sense it early on at this joke. Um, there's a bit where he announces himself as Dr. Paul Kendall, <laughs> yeah. and he says it like he's on an infomercial. Yeah. He announces it in this very sort of baritone announcer voice. And the, you hear a little chuckles among the crowd. They're like, oh, yeah, he's dead. I mean, there's that <laughs> vibe right off the bat that you know he's going to go in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was great. And he just – the way that he says it, it's so – it was, oh, it's, it's his kind of Clark can't take off the glasses moment. <laughs> um, he just like, <laughs> it sounds like somebody needs me. Um, but yeah, he, he's dead meat right away. And I, the crowd senses it. And that's, I think, the, the, the point at which uh, the crowd and the audience knows the characters. The characters are incredibly well written is that you can anticipate how this is going to go down. And the joke is funny even before it lands mm-hmm. because the, there just, there's an affection for the characters and the show is definitely in that place at this point. Like the crowd, the crowd knows who Carla is and they go, Oh yeah, this guy's gone. <laughs> it's kind of in a weird way. It's like when you watch a slasher movie and like the cop or security guard shows up and it's that same, same mentality, which is the more, qualified somebody is to deal with the situation the more dead meat they are <laughs> it's like oh yeah that guy that, that police officer he can deal with jason Voorhees, and it's like oh he's dead right away <laughs> yeah. and it's just that's just how it works the, oh. the 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 little vulnerable person the diane diane is also the person who would live survive last but right. um yeah i i kind of love that that guy just walks into a buzzsaw yeah all right. Well, Mike, thank you very much for being on the show again. Tell the listeners where else they can find you. Well, uh, my main project I do with uh, my podcasting partner, Casey Doran, is Radio versus the Martians. We're a pop culture discussion podcast. We cover just about everything under the pop culture sun. And you can catch that at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. And uh, we also have a spinoff podcast called Podcasta La Vista Baby, which is a love letter to every movie that has been done by uh, Sir Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> um, and we're probably about two-thirds of the way through that project, and you can find that at uh, com, and, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, and all the regular places you find podcasts. It's a terrific show. I always enjoy listening to those. 
Um, yeah, thank you again for being on the show. Listeners, thank you as always for tuning in. Please support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook and Twitter. You can also leave a comment on the website post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon. The Fire and Water Podcast Network has a Patreon page. Mike, as you know, is one of our very generous donators or patrons. You too can donate at his level and get your name mentioned on this podcast or one of the many other fine podcasts available on this network. For more information on how you can support the network in general or this podcast in particular, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thank you everyone for listening, and until next time, we're closed. You know, the way these used tools was carrying on my wedding, all lovey-dovey and all that. I want to know, how long has this thing been going on between you two? What's it to you? Answer the question. You been seeing him while we were married? No. I was always faithful to you. You seen Loretta when we were married? What am I, on trial here? <laughs> <laughs>